It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Bernie again sitting in for John Paul, taking your calls at 1850-333-103. And the wet and the cold weather, according to Met Aaron, is here to stay. Well, for the next few days and certainly across this weekend, but there is a glimmer of hope that uh, there will be some fine weather from the middle of next week. Tomorrow is probably going to be the best day of the weekend. Today, as we've mentioned, scattered heavy showers uh, throughout the day. But the evening time, we could have a rather nice Friday evening. Met Aaron says today won't be as bad as yesterday was, but we've got this same pressure system that's kind of hanging over the country, but it will ease throughout the day. So we will, the worst of the weather will be earlier in the day and then as we move we'll head in towards a clearance and uh, temperatures today are going to feel colder than normal because there's a bit of a northerly breeze out there as well. Tomorrow the, the winds will ease scattered. There will be some scattered showers but certainly nothing as intense as they have been yesterday or that they're going to be uh, today. So tomorrow, Met Aaron saying the best day of the weekend with sunny spells being intertwined with any scattered showers and temperatures again, a little bit on the low side for this time of year, just 10 to 13 degrees Celsius. But a new frontal system. That's what we're looking for. That's going to develop from Sunday. Now it will bring scattered outbreaks of rain early in in the day, but that's going to clear And then over the next day or two after that, it'll be kind of a mixed bag for a couple of uh, days. But then the good weather is in sight next week. A high pressure will begin to build and conditions look set to improve from around the middle of the week 
according to Met Air. And so a little bit more of this wet and cold weather when we'll, we'll come out the other side of it. And hopefully this time next week, I'll be talking about a scorcher of a weekend, which would really be fantastic. Our texts and WhatsApps are up and running at 0862-103-103 and all of the papers today. Every single one of them have photographs of the gorgeous little McGinley children, Connor, Carla and Dara and uh, all of them carrying interviews with Andrew McGinley. And I don't know how many people sat down to watch his interviews last night on primetime with Miriam O'Callaghan. There was the initial interview that was conducted within months of the deaths of these three little children and then there was a follow-up interview done yesterday following the not guilty verdict of Deirdre Morley, the little children's mother, following not guilty of murder due to reasons of uh, insanity of her three children. And I watched it last night and, you know, we talk about things like raw grief and it struck me last night looking at Andrew McGinley, the dad of these three precious, precious little children. There's raw grief And then there's the face of Andrew McGinley. How that man is even standing, how he even gets out of bed every day with the amount of grief that he is coping with. Because, you know, as he said in one of the interviews, like he's lost everything. He's lost his his three children. But even though his wife, Deirdre, or Dee, as he seems to call her, is still alive, he's lost her as well. So everything has been taken from from them. And when you look back on video clips and photographs, they just looked like such a happy family. And to hear him talking about the three children, Connor, who was nine, Dara, who was seven, and then the little princess, the little girl, Clara, uh, who was three. As children, as siblings, they got on really well. And you'll find that in some households. And I don't know why it's... You'll, you'll be in other households where siblings fight and they'd be nearly killing each other. And then you'll see other households where it's almost like when the children, I suppose, it's when they're that young, they're almost each other's best friends and they all get on and they all play uh, together. And Andrew McGinley now is demanding an investigation into his wife's diagnosis, into her treatment and also into the medication that she was taking prior to this dreadful, dreadful family uh, tragedy because it did emerge during Deirdre Morley's trial that she had attended a range of medical health services and counselling before she took the lives of her three children. It was in January of last year and seemingly Andrew McGinley himself said he and other members of the family were quite taken aback by some of the information that was revealed during the case about her treatment and about the state of her med- me- mental health. There was things that he was even unaware uh, of. So he's now saying that he wants an investigation as a matter of urgency. And he says in particular, we don't want any other family to suffer as we have. The verdict, it came after two days trial. The court heard harrowing evidence of how Deirdre Morley smothered her children to death while their dad was away at work. And I know there was coverage every day this week while that trial was on. And I didn't when when I was opening the papers in the morning and I know other uh, radio stations gave you know detail of what was said in court I couldn't I found it even hard to read it let alone decide 
that I was going to be talking about it on air. So I kind of made a conscious decision not to. I knew it was being covered in our news bulletins, but I just found it so difficult reading about it and reading about what happened in those moments before the children died. And I was just thought of Andrew McGindley and the grandparents that were in court and the aunts and uncles that were in court and the other people that all loved these three little children and how hard it must have been uh, for them. So Andrew Morley now very much on a, a campaign to say, you know, things need to change. He also said that the verdict was probably the right one. He said everybody who knows Deirdre knows how much she loved our children and how devoted she was uh, to them. And there was a statement he released after the verdict was was read out yesterday and he said whatever the outcome of the trial it remains that our beautiful children Connor, Dara and Carla have died and he said as I write this I have I'm no closer to understanding why he says we do not want any other family to suffer as we have and then he went on in his statement to talk about in the past 20 years over 50 children have died at the hands of one of their parents in this country isn't that Uh, just an absolutely shocking statistic. 50 children have died. Over 60% of those people were known to have had previous contact with psychiatric services. However, he said the Mental Health Act of 2001 does not go far enough in ensuring that the family support structures for the patients are fully engaged and included by the medical health professions treating our uh, loved ones. And he he is really looking for this investigation. He's, he's, and he's the type of guy who is going to, I think, get through life by taking on campaigns and by taking on what he sees is wrong and trying to fix it. And I think he may make a real change and maybe that's what these little children's legacy will be in hoping that no other family will face what he has now has to face and his family has to face for the rest of, of their lives. And he's vowed, of course, to honour the memory of his three children through special online projects. And actually, since the children have died and since he's taken to social media, I've been following him on social media. And he's just, he's so incredibly brave And he shares so much and he's taking comfort, I think, from support that he's getting from members of the public as well. I mean, I saw, for example, one day during the year, he just posted up on Twitter that he'd been standing in a shop and he'd got in to get some yoghurt for lunch. And when he went to pick up the particular brand and flavour of yoghurt that he was craving for, and when he picked it up and he realised that the sell-by date on it was the date of one of the children's birthdays. And he said, you know, something like that just hit him out of just sort of nearly knocked him sideways and he said I just put it back on the shelf and I picked a different brand and a different variety that had a different date on it it just sort of broke my heart I remember when I read that uh, tweet and he set up Connor's Clips this is a great web web page that features a number of beautiful family videos it includes happy memories of like the children waiting for Santa Claus there's videos of them playing on their in a bouncy castle and visiting a bowling uh, alley and he's that's one site that he's set up but he's he's now set up a site for each of the three children and since their deaths the heartbroken dad has created an online an online homage to his children which has deeply touched anyone I think who has gone to, to look at it and people have reached out to offer him support. I mean he speaks about complete strangers leaving food and gifts at his door because he's made his address very public because he wanted people to uh, write it to him. So he's got three websites which include stories competitions, videos and photographs so that everybody can learn about the lives of his children. He said I continue to celebrate their all too short lives of Connor, Dara and Carla 
to ensure that they're never ever forgotten about and he would you know he has explained in the past that Connor had asked him to help him set up a YouTube uh, channel and he said yeah that's something I'm promising I'm going to do and they they had plans to do it so that's what he did after Connor died he set up and if you go onto YouTube you'll find it on uh, Connor's uh, clips and then he'll also have stuff that he'll post up on his Twitter and his Instagram uh, account. And then for his little daughter, Carla, she was obsessed with snowmen and he he was waiting for a good downpouring of snow and he promised her that he was going to build her the biggest snowman that he could. But obviously that never uh, came uh, to pass. And what he's now planning to do for Carla, he's got an online site where he's going to do colouring competitions and it's called Snowman for Carla. And then for Dara, he promised Dara that he'd get involved with under rage training and which he's done he's got involved with the Rathcool boys but he was saying that Dara was that type of child who was involved in everything in the community he was with the Rathcool boys boys but he was also with the commercials it's a hurling group he was with the local GAA club he was with the athletics club he was with the drama club so in Dara's name he's starting a charity to encourage everyone to get involved more in their own community and to participate as Dara did so he set up three three websites in their name in their honour and in their memory and it's the connorsclips.ie as Dara did.ie and snowmanforcarla.ie as I say such a brave brave man and you would wish him nothing but love and luck going forward and and Deirdre Morley there kid's mum. You couldn't help but uh, think of her today as well and she has to live with the consequences of what happened that day. She has to live with that for the rest of uh, her life. So as I say when I think of raw grief and when I think of grief in the future I think it's the face of Andrew McGinley will to me sum up what real raw, raw grief means. 1850 Bernie's taking your calls uh, today. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Hi, Michael. Uh, reacting to Andrew McGinley's interview on Primetime last night, said Patricia, uh, the heartbreaking story told by Andrew McGinley last night was absolutely heart-wrenching uh, to listen to. How the man was just able to do that, I really do not know. Where did he get his strength from? I would say that there wasn't a dry eye in the country listening to him tell the story of the loss of his three beautiful darling children. So happy, loving and so full of life. And had a lot of questions to be answered by the people whom their mother worked with. Our thoughts and prayers are with him in this most traumatic time of his life, a time he will never, ever forget or indeed ever get over. The only consolation is he's three angels up there looking down on him and they'll never be far away from him. Thanking you. That's from Michael in Castletown Bear. And then there are some people with uh, not being, I think, very understanding or being very kind towards uh, their mother, uh, Deirdre Morley. And I'm really not getting into that or, or reading out those comments this morning because Andrew McGinn Uh, himself. It was only last Saturday for the first time uh, since uh, she took the lives of their three children that they came face to face. They met in the Central Mental Hospital but Andrew McGinley is questioning the support and the treatment that his wife received in the run up to the uh, killings and he said she wasn't well. I think it's important to know that she was a good mother and that she she loved them and he thinks that's very important that that message gets out um, as well.
1850-333-103. And on the weather, when I mentioned the diabolical weather we're having at the moment, but a little light at the end of the tunnel from midweek next week, Mary says, Welcome to the world of climate change. The weather is only going to get worse and more unpredictable every single year from here on in. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now, the National Housing Charity Threshold has warned that already hard pressed tenants across Cork on the housing assistance payment, the HAP scheme, will struggle to make ends meet in the face of spiralling rents. Sidel Condon is Southern Regional Services Manager with Threshold, and uh, Idel joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Idel. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. How much have rents increased by in the last year, Idel? So if, if we look at Cork County, year in year, they're up 8.7%, Patricia, and in the city, they're up 6.3%, which is, is above this rent cap that is in place. Uh, people would have heard of these rent pressure zones, so by law, uh, rents can only increase by 4% per annum in these rent pressure zones, so uh, they're not being adhered to uh, by the looks of it, you know. And is the maximum HAP limits allowable coming anywhere near covering the cost of rent for many people? Uh, no, not anymore, Patricia, and, and this is the issue. Um, they have to be, I suppose they have to be increased if the, if, if the government are going to leave rents the way they are. Um, so for a family with two children, the half limit, just to give an example, is €925. Euro. Um, you know, so we all know three-bed properties are kind of varying from anything from 1400 to 1600 to even 1800 depending on the area. Um, so it's it's impossible for people, um, you know, it's forcing people into food poverty um, and in some cases arrears, you know, um, there is some legislation there for people that have been affected due to COVID and have fallen into arrears, um, which is a bit of a complicated process. So, you know, people should be contacting us if, if they find themselves in that situation. Um, so very difficult, Patricia, for anyone to find yeah, affordable and, and I'm straight away thinking of people across last year who would have ended up on a pandemic, one of the POP uh, payments. Mm-hmm. I mean, how have they been managing? Um, so thankfully, the government put in place a ban on evictions for the you know the majority of of the last year. So people were protected there. Um, in fairness to the Department of Social Protection, they were very quick in um, you know I suppose approving applications for for rent supplement and also um, applications as well the, the local authorities for housing assistance payments. So they did do it quickly. You know um, they they didn't hang around, which which was great. Uh, but unfortunately, there there are people who did fall fall into arrears due to due to losing their their employment. Um, so I suppose it's all about accessing the supports that are there, Patricia, you know, and kind of not leaving it go to see, oh, will I be able to afford it next week on my own? Don't, you know, the mm. supports are there for a reason and people should avail of them and um, and also make sure that they put their name on a housing list because people's circumstances change for various reasons and they should always be proactive in putting their name down for housing um, and be on the list. You know, it might take a while for it to come through but at least they're You're there. On, they're the on the list. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's very and, important for people to do that. And then looking at availability when it comes to rental properties, what's that mm-hmm. looking like at the moment? very poor. Um, it's at its lowest um, since they've actually produced the DAS report. So it's for Munster, it's at the lowest figure ever since 2006. 
which is, you know, frightening. It's, it's, in the last year, it's down a third. It's actually reduced by a third. Um, so I, I had a quick look at uh, kind of Vermoy, Mallow, McCroom, Bandon areas yesterday on that. And the highest was in Bandon. There was five properties available. McCroom had two properties, Mallow five and Vermoy three properties. And and they are probably all above half caps, you know. Yeah, because so. then and then I'm thinking of somebody who is in a property where the rent has gone up. It's not a case of well, there's so many properties available. I can say to the landlord, I'm not willing to pay that. I'll move somewhere else. I mean, that's the, that's, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They are, and I suppose the important thing is that people need to get all their documentation checked by threshold. So if they receive um, a rent notice to make sure to contact us if they receive a notice of termination or have received one in the last 12 months because a lot of these have been revised. So they've been pushed out for people to give them more time. So it's very important that people get all their documentation and notices checked because 50% of the notices that come to us, Patricia, are invalid. People do not have to move for 50% of the notices because they're they're not drafted in accordance with the legislation. The correct time frame mightn't be given. There might be statutory declarations missing. So it's extremely important that people do get everything checked. We ha- now have a generation, Adele, of young people who simply can't afford uh, to purchase their own homes. Mm-hmm. The danger there surely is that demand is only going to increase for rental properties. And obviously, if, if there's a demand for rental properties, the prices will just keep going up. They will. Um, I mean, there's always a need for rental properties, you know, for students, for people who for various reasons will never be able to own their own home. But we also have the need for people to purchase properties. So we need to have various, I suppose, different strands of housing and um, to meet the need. But in order for rental property to be a favourable choice for people. So if you look at different European countries, in a lot of them it's the norm. But it's the norm because people feel secure in them. And there's, you know, legislation protecting them. They don't have the fear, the constant fear that we have in this country of that notice of termination coming in the door because we just don't have the right legislation in place. We need further security of tenure for people. Um, At the moment, our our rental sector works on six-year cycles. So when you come to your sixth year, there is nothing stopping from a landlord from issuing you with notice for no reason at all. You know, and that cannot continue for people. If we need a stable rental sector, we need change and we need it quickly. It's a shocking way for people to live and particularly if you're a family with children. Absolutely. There is a constant fear there at the moment. And I suppose in a way this is why we're seeing rents increase constantly um, in the last number of years because people are so fearful if they don't pay that extra €200 a month or if they don't pay that extra you know, 500 a month that, you know, they could end up in homeless services. So this is the issue. There's not enough regulation there uh, at present to stop that from happening, to be, to, to stop the pressure being put on families to pay extra or to, you know, not, not to complain about the washing machine broken, you know, or accept the leak in the fishing room because I'm fearful that I will get a notice of termination. It is no way for people to be living. And, and that's, the re- that's the reality, Idel. Some people are living in substandard accommodation, but they, they won't complain because where will they go? 
Exactly. It's a huge issue. Standards and repairs has always been an issue for us. But I suppose, you know, going back a few years ago, we were able to get, you know, inspections done quickly and we were able to work with landlords to get the, you know, the repairs done. But people are just so fearful now of of even mentioning a repair issue in case it rocks the boat. You know, and I mean, our standard of rental property isn't great. I mean, we've been lobbying for a long time to get this kind of NCT style certification system in where you cannot advertise your property in DAF until it meets a certain standard. And again, we've been, you know, asking for this for years and nothing's been done, you know. So we need a radical change in the rental sector very quickly. Paula wants to know, are the designated rent rent pressure zones helping in any way? Not by the looks of it, you know. Um, it, they were too, I suppose what happened was, Patricia, um, it took too long. So, you know, when they were setting out the criteria to meet a rent pressure zone, they included Dublin in it. So we all know that the rents in Dublin were sky high at the time. So this allowed rent to increase and increase outside Dublin. Then they realised that that was the wrong way of, of, you know, that was the wrong criteria they were using. So they took Dublin out of it then in calculating, the, you know, in, in setting the criteria. But it was too late. Sure, the rent kept going up and up and up until they realised this, you know. So... A bit, you know, it was, again, it was something that we were always pointing out. You know, you have to do a kind of, it should have been a blanket restriction on, on rent increases across the country. Mm. You know, that's mm. what should have been done. And again, we pointed this out on numerous occasions. But, you know, even if you look at, at Cork City and County there, so the, the, in the rents in the last year have gone up 8.7% in the county, more than the city. So that will tell you that, you know, people are being pushed out of the city to pay higher rents now in the county. So it's affecting everywhere now. You know, it's an issue everywhere. And what are people doing? I mean, if a large portion of their income is going on rent, how are they covering the other living expenses? Yeah, so they're topping up, you know, and they're accessing services like uh, St. Vincent de Paul. Um, you know, there's food banks now set up in the city that people have had to use in order to, to reduce the grocery bill and to top up the rent. A lot of people, and it's awful to say it, Patricia, but a lot of people are using their child's benefit, you know. To pay rent. And I mean, that's for shoes, for children, it's for clothes, yeah, it's to pay yeah, yeah. the bills in school, you know, for the books. And unfortunately, that is being used in a lot of cases to pay rent around the country. Can you see any light at the end of the tunnel for our housing crisis, Idel? It's 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 going to take a long a, a long time, you know. But there are things that can be done fairly quickly. Again, around the security of tenure for people to take the pressure and the stress and the worry away from people. Just put in extra protections, you know. So get rid of what we call the Section Thirty Four B of the Act. That six year. When, when it comes to the six years that people could be issued with notice for no reason, you know, get rid of it. Yeah. Make make the rental sector a secure place for people to live without the worry of having that notice. And, um, you know, improve the rent regulation. So, you know, that's a role for the Residential Tenancies Board. They have an investigation and sanctions unit. You know, so maybe changes need to be made there. Um, obviously, we need the increase in housing across the board. Mm. You know, there's everyone ex- the, everyone the accepts goal. that, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, another one is rent register. So again, something we've been calling for, you couldn't see how much a property sold for. 
you know, there's a property register, but you can't see how much a property should, the asking rent of a property should be, you know. So if people were, you know, saw a property on that being advertised, um, they should be able to log on to the system and say, right, I know that the rent on this is going to be, should be this, mm. you know. There is legislation there to say that everyone that goes into a rental property should be handed a letter to tell them how their rent was calculated and, and what it was, you know. That's not happening. We, I've never seen one. I've never seen one of those letters. You know, um, so there's gaps that could be filled fairly easily. You know, the hat cap. You know, even a slight change there would make make a big it difference for people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so there are there are there solutions. are things that could be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, Adele, and uh, people can contact Threshold How. So you can call our helpline uh, 1800 454 454 or we now have this new web chat facility available on our website so if you go to threshold.ie okay. um, they, they, we can facilitate web chat as well for people uh, for the new generations Trisha okay. they prefer not to, not to <laughs> not talk to us on the phone so um, absolutely. we're trying to expand our reach Well done yeah, Well yeah. done Listen as okay. always a pleasure to talk to you Adele Thank you for Thanks, that Trisha. Thanks, Thanks uh, for joining us That is Adele Condon Southern Region Services Manager with Threshold 1-800-454-454-Threshold.ie if you are in need of help and support. And John says, Trish, it's a waste of time talking about rent prices. Everybody knows the story. Nothing we, the listeners of the renters, can do. The rich getting richer while the poor are getting poorer. That's by text to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, as we reported last week, litter wardens in Cork are going undercover to tackle dog fouling. Dog poo patrols have been set up in the city with wardens donning civilian clothes to conduct out-of-hour checks in dog poo black spots. Joining me, the Lord Mayor of uh, Cork City, that's Councillor Joe Cavanagh. Good morning to you, Joe. Uh, good morning, Patricia. I, I, How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How big a problem is dog fouling in the city, in your opinion? Well, dog fouling uh, is a problem everywhere, Patricia, not just in Cork City, but right across the country. Um, but in the city, we, we've um, we've ramped up our campaign. It's a Cork Against Litter campaign, which we launched back in February. And as part of that, um, dog, fo- dog fouling um, awareness and general litter awareness has been um, has been very much at the top of the list, really, as part of the Cork Against Litter campaign. Um, has it has I, it got worse during the pandemic? Um, the one thing I want to say, like a lot of people talk about people not looking after their dogs and you know allowing their dogs to you know to destroy public pavements, but there are a lot of dog owners out there. In fairness, and it'll have to be it has to be acknowledged who pick up after their mm. dogs. Absolutely. But it, and they have to be acknowledged. And, and to those, I say thank you so much for that because you're making such a positive difference to our environment and so on. It's the small few. And, and it, look, compared to what it used to be like, it is definitely in the minority. But it doesn't take much to destroy a public sidewalk, to destro- destroy a public green area, you know, uh, for kiddies playing on... on playing pitches and so on. And you mentioned about dog or litter wardens going undercover. I mean, it's not as if a litter warden is going to be hiding behind a bush and <laughs> jumping out sort of thing and, or, or with camouflage on them and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, it's not that sort of a campaign. It, basically what it is, the litter wardens are going to be very focused 
on and they're going to pick certain areas. Now, they're not going to be in high-vis um, jackets with flashing lights on top of their heads so people can see them off. Uh, in between, you know, um, they may have a jacket over their high-vis jacket. Okay, we're having a, prob- we're having a problem there with your line. Just yeah, no, you're back. You're back with us uh, uh, again. Yeah, so so that yeah, so that people won't realise their dog, their litter wardens. That's what they're attempting to do. Well, the, the litter warden has to identify themselves, obviously. It's yeah, Garda, whatever they're, they're they're acting in an official capacity, but they're not going to be going around crawling under bushes and jumping out, catching people, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but if it's if a litter that. warden is, it's the same as if a member of Garda Shikona is walking through an area. Everybody will be cleaning up. Everybody will be doing the right the right thing. So it's to try yeah, to exactly. you're trying to catch the people who are being irresponsible. Well, basically, what we're trying to yes, of course, and, and like look, if we if we can, as I said already, Patricia, you have to acknowledge that we're doing things right. But it's the people who are not doing things right we're trying to trying to nail really, you know. And mm. um, you know, at the end of the day, um, we have to. Everybody has to take responsibility for their own local environment. I mean, I myself, I'm, go- I'm going out clipper picking tomorrow morning, uh, mm. as I do on, on a regular basis with my local Tidy Towns group. And I'm taking responsibility as a citizen for my local area. And there are so many groups around our city at the moment shooting up now, um, doing that. And, you know, they have to be lauded for the fantastic work they're doing. But it's the small minority, Patricia, not just in Cork City, but right across the county. It doesn't take much for people to, you know, adversely litter areas, whether it is dog fouling, whether it is general littering and so on. And, you know, I'm appealing to those people to please be mindful of everybody else who lives in our community. You know, take your rubbish away. Um, I know people complain there's not enough bins. There will never, ever be enough bins. You can't have a bin every six feet. But you have to, you know, I know people who walk their dogs. And what they say to me, Patricia, they say, do you know something? I know there's a bin here. I know there's a bin down yeah, around the corner. Yeah. So I will adjust, I will amend my walk to make sure I've walked past that bin. So if I have a little bag, I'll pop it in the bin. And there's always been a problem, though, if you, if the, and this is not just for the city council, it's for the county council, it's local authorities everywhere. If you yeah. put out too many bins, you will then again get some irresponsible people who will start using the bins to get rid of domestic rubbish. I mean, that's been happening for quite some time. You're 100% right, uh, Patricia. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. And that's exactly why Cork City Council, and uh, I'm sure Cork County Council the same, have uh, reviewed um, the locations of their bins and how many bins they put in place because it's not cheap to put a bin in place. Firstly, to put a bin in place, that's the cheapest part, but maintaining it. And and as you say quite correctly, there are a small minority of people who think because it's a bin, they can put their domestic rubbish there and forget about putting my own domestic and forget about paying for bin charges, just use the local authority to remove their rubbish for them. And that goes on. Of course it goes on. But thankfully, it's heading in the right direction in terms of minority. And there will always be someone out there who say, oh, look. I know such and such a crowd that dump their rubbish at the corner of the estate and the council come along and they pick it up and they take it away. Why should I pay for my rubbish and they don't pay for their rubbish? And that is what the wardens are trying to clamp down on. Mm. Uh, within estates as well as on the public realm, is what, and, and that's what we're talking about in terms of dog fouling. But litter wardens, you can't have a litter warden on every street corner. 
It's just not practical. No. Yeah, it's just not practical. And no. the fine for dog fouling, we know, I think as well as is um, 150 euro. But uh, but I know um, there was a report saying there wasn't a single fine handed out in Cork City uh, since 2017. Is it very hard to catch the owner and the dog in the act and that the owner walked away and didn't clean up? Is that yeah. the problem? That is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, 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 the answer is in your question. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is very difficult unless unless the litter warden uh, is standing over the person as the dog is doing his business, um, and 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 they get literally, or if if you're making a complaint as a citizen yourself, uh, unless you're willing to stand up in court and give evidence, um, that you were there on such and such a date at such and such a time, and you also have photographic evidence of the action uh, of the action taking place. Um, that is the only way a fine can be issued, mm-hmm. and it's not—it's not as easy as people think. And there's a lot of people, including public representatives, who stand up and they say, "Oh, we should have loads of litter wardens out instead of spending money on um, campaigns, awareness campaigns, and things like that. We should pay for more litter wardens to go out and catch people in the act." It's very difficult to catch people in the act, and it's a very expensive business. Yeah. So, really, the best way to eliminate this, Patricia, and it, it is going in the right direction, slowly, I add, but it is going in the right direction. There are so many very responsible dog owners out there who pick up after their dogs, firstly, and who, secondly, get their bags, and they put their bags into a bin. And it, can I reiterate, you can put those bags into any bin. Yeah, it doesn't um, just have to be the one for disposing of, of dog uh, no, waste. No, it doesn't. No. And, and, and I, know, I knew the minute I was going to bring you on about it, we're getting inundated with people who are all identifying areas where they live, where there's loads of, oh, of dog filing. It's, it is, it is, and there is, there is the health implications. I spoke with a mother from up the country uh, a couple of months ago who was talking about oh, her, her little boy who ended up in hospital. Was very, very joking. unwell. Yeah, he had come in from playing football. She knew the minute he walked in that there, the smell, there'd been dog poo all over the football. Like, I mean, she stripped him off straight away. A couple of days later, became very sick and he ended yeah. up in Cumberland Children's Hospital and was very, very yeah. sick. And when they did the test, they realised what it was. So there are there are health uh, implications. There are. The, and, the doctor and you're, contacted me two years about that and she gave me a very detailed insight as to the dangers from a health perspective of just, just dog fouling yeah. um, on, on your hands and rubbing it into your eyes. You could go blind uh, or ingesting it um, you could end up with serious uh, damage internally. Yeah, and if you're anyway medically vulnerable, that can be really, really uh, serious. Um, okay, and you're, it's the, the Keep Cork, Keep, keep Cork. Uh, Cork, against, Cork Against Litter Campaign. Cork Against Litter Campaign. And is it going well? Are you happy with it? It, and it, it is a gradual, uh, a slow, gradual process of a, an awareness campaign, Patricia. And what I'll do is I'll organise for some stickers and some information to be sent to you. Please do, yeah, yeah. That would be great. We, we get them. We get them out in the post here today. Okay. Um, it's purely awareness, and what what you're doing there, what we're doing this morning, talking about it, is actually creating awareness from a positive perspective. And that's what it's all about. The message has to be top of mind on every citizen's page, um, really. Yeah. That it is not good to dispose of your litter irresponsibly, and it is also not good for the for the environment and the rest of people living in your community to allow your dog to. To, to, to do his business either in a public walkway or in a public green area. And then walk you know, away. Without picking, well said. Without picking it up. I mean, a dog can't read. <laughs> 
You know? well, Listen, happy litter picking tomorrow, uh, Joe. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. Anytime, Patricia. Good morning so to much. you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That is Councillor Joe uh, Kavanagh, the Lord Mayor of uh, Cork City. Someone else says, why does everybody turn a blind eye to cat fouling? It's always about dog fouling. Hi, Patricia, down in Baltimore. The summer people, says this sister, uh, just let their dogs go anywhere they like. It's like a minefield then when you go for a walk in Baltimore. 1850 We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. We'll take a look at calls and comments coming into the programme and in the next hour we're going to hear why local residents are objecting to a planning application against an oyster farm in Clonakilty Bay. I'm going to give a mention to a text that is doing the rounds at the moment. It's been sent to me by a number of listeners and I even on my own personal phone I've received it from some friends of mine I don't know if this is an urban myth if somebody has made this up as a joke or if scammers are involved uh, pretending to be part of the cyber attack on the HSC or whether this has anything to do with the cyber attack on the HSC but the text it says uh, just and it's sent around to people to give people the heads up and for just for people to be careful and I think it's worth mentioning because I do think we all need to be very very careful because of the number of scam artists that are out there at the, the uh, moment the text reads that a friend's mum got a call now it's, it's meant to be coming from a Dublin number pretending to be from the HSC now the person at the other end of the phone call had all of the person details, contact number, date of birth, PPS number, but more importantly, had the date of her stay and the hospital that she was in last November. Now, the conversation goes that they're looking for her bank details because she she needs to get a refund as she was overcharged for this for the stay. Now, immediately the woman who was meant to have got this phone call hung up and rang her GP and the GP is meant to have said they've had many calls about it already and that the GP said it's the hackers releasing all of the data. So therefore this text is doing the rounds to tell everyone to be careful if you do get a phone call no matter how real they seem to be to spread the word. Now the one thing when I heard about that yesterday was somebody getting a phone call uh, like that. If you were overcharged particularly if you'd stayed in a private hospital. You'd only been in a private hospital. The majority of people would only be in a private hospital if they had health insurance. So if you were overcharged, it's surely to the health insurance company they were going. So that's why I wonder, is this is this a scam that, that Irish people are have somehow got involved with and, and are doing scams? I don't think hand on heart that it's anything to do with the cyber attack but it could it absolutely could well be part of the cyber attack and therefore for that reason again we have to bring our A game when it comes to answering unsolicited calls from uh, anyone and as we know the HSC have now been given the encryption key which will help them unlock the data and of course by doing that they they, they all of their computers at the moment have been completely uh, disabled so it will help them to get their computer system back up and running. Security officials are in the process now of trying to verify that this tool that has been sent to ensure that it is from the genuine HSE hackers because the fear is if it wasn't it could cause further damage to the system. If it is legitimate it's expected then it'll assist the health service in restoring and retrieving data from the hack and it would at least get the systems back up and ru- running. However the gang be- that doesn't mean that that's the end of it 
because the gang behind the attack still has access. They've still stolen all of the data and of course they are still expected to dump the data uh, on on the dark web if they don't get paid, if they don't get the ransom. The handing over of an encryption device and I know people were saying why would they do that? Are these just nice guys or, or something? That's actually in line with the modus operandi of similar groups. What it will do is it will assist the HSC in restoring the sensitive uh, material uh, but it's it's not been treated in any way as a goodwill gesture. As one government source says these guys don't do goodwill. It's more so a threat to show that the access and capabilities they have rather than helping the victim and in this case it is the uh, HSC. And they, are, they gave back the encryption key and they did it for free. There wasn't a ransom paid but they still say they will now sell or publish a lot of the private data. That's if the government doesn't connect with them. The cyber criminals also have given instructions on how to use the encryption device and warning the new holders how to avoid damaging the data. Isn't that nice of them? Uh, but international news agency Bloomberg, they've reported that the cyber gang had, have set a deadline of next Monday. And if, they, if the government don't pay the ransom demand, which is meant to be somewhere around $20 million, then they will start dumping huge and large quantities of data online. Heather Humphreys, our Justice Minister, has reaffirmed that the government stances it says it will not pay the ransom. But they are very aware that some of the material hacked is more than likely going to be dumped because they're not going to pay the ransom and therefore people are going to start getting contacts, maybe like that phone call that I just mentioned from that person in uh, Dublin. Uh, So what they've decided to do is the government are establishing a hotline. It's going to be a confidential crime line type scheme whereby people, if you are in any way approached by anyone claiming that they have medical or any other relevant data, there's going to be a special number that you can report it to. And the government is saying they'll give more details of the phone line in the coming days. And I think the sooner the better, because if that call is genuine and that actually happened to a uh, woman, and if the GP is saying that they've had many more calls like it, then then some of the information is out there and is leaked. Because who else, how else would somebody have somebody's, okay, the date of birth and somebody's contact details, scam artists manage to get that. But to actually have very specific data and data relation to a hospital stay or a medical procedure or something that's wrong with somebody, that would really frighten the life out of me. So we'll wait. And as soon as we hear about this crime line type telephone, confidential telephone call that's going to go live by, I'm, I'm assuming it'll be operated by Angarda Shikon. As soon as we get a number for that, uh, we will bring it to you, okay? 1850 333 on rent, rents and the issue that we dealt with in the last hour. Patricia, I listened attentively to your discussion on the rental and housing market. Uh, I'm afraid that this debacle will not be settled today, tomorrow or indeed next year. The root cause of the problem lies fairly and squarely on the shoulders of our planners and county councillors. If they were responsible for, they were the ones responsible for the cleaning out of rural Ireland. These councillors whom we voted for, some were not fit for purpose and did not defend rural Ireland and now we're paying uh, 
the price and we will be paying for it for a long time to come. Someone else says, uh, Patricia, I would like to know how many of our politicians are landlords. Could that be the main reason why nothing is ever done to change the rental market? And then I'm assuming that this is somebody who is a landlord who says, I would have no problem at all with rent freezing once landlords mortgage rates are frozen as well. So that's somebody who obviously is a uh, landlord. And then some of your texts in from people who have, are in or have been in uh, renting houses. Uh, hi Patricia, me and my family have just come out of a rented house in Formoy which was riddled in house mould toxic black and green mould. The landlord was told about it on several occasions by us but we were simply ignored. I've now noticed it's up on daft.ie for sale but what can people do? We've had, we have a case against the landlord through the RTB but this house should not be up for sale. The landlord has just painted over the mould. It really is scandalous. Well I hope that nobody will buy a house. We're getting a good engineer's report who will be able to discover that there's mould and uh, toxic black and green mould. And hi, Patricia, says another listener, listening to your rent interview. I rent, I rent it privately and for a couple of, I rent it privately. And for a couple of years ago, my then landlord wanted his house back. He said it was for a family member. I was always up to date with my rent, never missed a payment. And I didn't get any written document to ask me to vacate the property. And towards the end was actually getting grief from both the landlord and his wife. Now, very luckily, I did find somewhere else to live fairly close to where I was renting that property. The family member only stayed in the house for a short while. And then I heard that the landlord doubled the rent to the new tenant. They didn't care where I went just as long as they got their property back. The law should give tenants more options. Thanking you, name withheld for obvious reasons. And that's exactly what Elaine Condon from Threshold is saying and they have been banging on about it. I've done countless interviews with Threshold over the years saying something needs to be done about making security of tenure for people that rent. It's the laws in this country when it comes to renting needs to be uh, changed and I think they're going to have to be changed because we are now moving more towards the European model in a lot of European countries, particularly the Scandinavian countries. The majority of people rent and they rent for life. That's just the model that they use for housing and because people are locked out of the housing market in this country. People can't afford. A single person wouldn't have a hope in hell of taking on a mortgage at the moment. And even if you've got two good incomes, it's you're struggling to get a deposit together because you're paying these huge rents and then trying to you're outbid when you do go to try to get a house. So it's, we we have a generation of people who may never own their own home, who may need to be in rental properties maybe for the rest of their lives. And for that reason, we do have to now seriously look at protecting protecting people that are at rent. Thank you for those uh, texts. Another listener was on. This is from Kiss Game, completely different, wondering, uh, have any of the listeners from the Kiss Game area noticed problems with the colour of their water? This listener has noticed it since Wednesday. He rang Irish Water uh, twice. He's fearful that it's not fit for use, thanking you a Kiss Game fan of your radio show. So anyone please in the Kiss Game area, can you pour out a glass of water and is it a funny colour? Has it gone a different colour? Now when you say it's there since Monday, we've had a lot of rain. Is it just to do with, you know sometimes when we very wet weather, there can be a discoloration on 
the tap water. Could that be it? Particularly when you've drawn attention to it from Irish Water. And I'm assuming if you've rang Irish Water twice, they've looked into it. Have they come back with anything? What I would say to you as well is I don't know who your local friendly councillor is in that area. If you still feel that it's not fit for human not fit for use and you're nervous about it get on to a councillor and see if a councillor can look into it for you but in the meantime we'll put the shout out uh, for you for the people in the Kiskame area has anybody noticed the colour of their water particularly since last Monday 1850 there's a number of texts coming in about the interview we're going to be doing in a couple of minutes about Clonakilty Bay and the Oyster Farm so I'm going to hold off on that for uh, a moment uh, because I want to wait until we get to that interview what else is coming in by phone and by uh, texts Dennis in mid this is back to rents Dennis in, Dennis in mid Cork says Simon Coveney was supposed to have sorted out the rental crisis when he was minister that didn't happen Johnny in Mitchestown says the government and the social welfare system is to blame for the high rents if you ask social welfare officer for help with the rent they'll just simply hand over the money it's no wonder rents are sky high uh, says uh, Johnny and then Barbara North Cork was on this is, I don't know if this is a scam or not but this is more for people to be careful when they're employing a a tradesman to come into their house. Barbara says she wanted to have a fence erected. So her neighbour and herself got together because obviously the fence was between the two uh, properties and it was her neighbour who actually found a workman. Now it was a workman from the Tipperary area but they did their bit and they checked it out and this person seemed very legit. He said he only had a two-week window of opportunity to do the job so they need to make their minds up quick because you know the two weeks were coming up and he'd be able to do it so they said great so they paid him in advance for the supplies they handed over 2,000 euro I don't know what the total was at the end but I'm assuming maybe half they gave half at the beginning so maybe maybe the the deal was 4,000 for the fence so anyway they handed over 2,000 and he came on day one and he did a bit of work and guess what? They haven't seen him since. So then they've started checking into this guy to see who, see who he was. And they've discovered he was working as a subcontractor for a very reputable company. But when they contacted the reputable company to check him out, they said, we weren't happy with his work. So we let him uh, go. So he's, you know, he's doing his own thing now at the moment. So Barbara just wants to advise people, you need to be very careful when you are employing workmen. You do indeed. And the one thing I always say when you're employing workmen, you can't beat word of mouth. I know back in just before lockdown I had some we'd have some jobs done around the house but one of them was we needed to get a fitted wardrobe put into one of the bedrooms and I was checking it out online and I was looking and I wanted to make sure that I went with a local company and lo and behold didn't I spot on uh, when I was looking up reviews didn't I spot a review from somebody that I work with in our city station so I contacted her and said look I'm looking to get work done looks like you got some work done in your house are these guys any good and she gave me a glowing, glowing reference and then I contacted them and they did everything that I asked and more and I always have a tendency to do that go and and certainly always try and go local you know get a recommendation but go local as well because if you go local and God forbid there's something has gone wrong you can call the person back in and it's it's. I always think it is the way to go but yeah you're very unfortunate Barbara you're out 2,000 euro yourself and your neighbour and your fence still hasn't been built 1850 333 103 lines open C103 Jobs 
Alzheimer's Society of Ireland are recruiting home care and daycare workers it's for work in the Formoy. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and and climate neutral certified so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin glow from the inside out get 10% off your first order with code glow at oseamalibu.com that's o s e a malibu.com code glow Connor and Mitchellstown areas Bon Secure Hospital in Cork they've got vacancy for a clinical nurse manager while personal lines administrator is wanted for a busy general insurance brokerage and that's in abandoned and cleaners are wanted to work on the Sheep's Head Peninsula you'll find all the details and many 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 more jobs by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103 you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And when someone was talking about the phone call we did about discoloration of water in Kiskane, Pat in Bally Desmond says there is forestry work going on 
upstream of Kiskame so that may be causing the discoloration of the water but the water is fine but it is just a little bit uh, discoloured. Uh, thank you for that. Now the residents of Ring outside Clonakilty recently learnt of an application submitted for an oyster farm in Clonakilty Bay. Local people are very concerned about this project which will be approximately the size of 33 soccer pitches. Joining me is a resident from Ring, Sean Doyle and in a couple of minutes I'll also be joined on the line by Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy uh, Christopher O'Sullivan but Sean Doyle uh, joins me first. Good morning to you uh, Sean. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. Now Sean, when and how did you become aware of this application? We became aware about two weeks ago there was a notice in the local paper giving us four weeks to respond. Now apparently this has been in the works for over five years and we're only just learning about it now. Yeah, because I've got a copy of the planning application and I was taken aback to see the date on it, the 11th of February 2016. Absolutely, yeah. And, and actually, we, and I, I can see from some of the texts coming in, a number of people are wondering, why why would local council officials... Well, see, that's what we, we can't understand because somebody must have known about this and somebody must have gave an OK for the surveys and uh, and everything that, that goes with it. And to be honest, the, the feeling, the strength of feeling around the place is we just don't want it. It, it brings nothing to the area. OK, just explain what an oyster farm of this size would mean to the area. It would kill the area. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've got a rowing club that have been here for, for 40 years. They have regattas every year. They bring people to the area. And all of a sudden, their rowing grounds are gone. It's like somebody's pulled a rope over a swimming pool and said, look, that's your lane stick to it. The whole of the bay would be completely inaccessible to everybody. Is there a few environmental concerns? Massively, because, I mean, where, where it's going to be situated is breeding grounds for sand eels. I mean, the whole of the area itself, anyway, is a conservation area. It's, it's an area of out, outstanding natural beauty. And, it, and it's gone in, in the blink of an eye. Who is the company behind the oyster farm, Sean? It's AG Oysters. They're a French-based company with an office in Dublin. But they primarily serve the French market, so they'll be selling to supermarkets and commercial places around France. So again, it's purely profiteering, and it brings nothing to the local area at all. Uh, and by the way, we have contacted uh, the company because we wanted them to get involved in this uh, yeah. discussion, but we have heard uh, nothing back from them. And the reaction locally to the proposal, Sean? It's huge. I mean, once, once, it, ca- once it came to our attention, I mean... Look, we've been in lockdown the same as everyone else for, I don't know, 14 months. But in an area like this now, it always amazes me that people can get together and say, look, we don't want this. It brings nothing to us. We just don't want it. OK, stay there because I want to bring in uh, local Dáil Deputy for the area, uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. Uh, good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. Now, uh, when did you become aware of this application? Yeah, uh, Surprisingly, it was what, last week, I think, uh, Sean said, when a very sharp-eyed uh, local resident in the ring area managed to pick it up in that small little section of the star. And maybe that's a big role, overall problem with these applications in that, yes, they, they're, they're supposed to be transparent, they're supposed to be advertised publicly, but what what is uh, considered advertising it publicly is quite often a small little advert in the corner of the Southern Star, and many of these go uh, completely overlooked, but thankfully... We had a razor-sharp resident who spotted this, made um, more locals aware of it. Then there was a, a Facebook campaign that made, uh, I suppose, the greater area of Ring, Dara, Clannacilty and Shidani aware of it. 
Uh, and straight away, I mean, the reaction from residents, from locals, and not just not just people living in Ring, people in in, in Shidani, in Clonakilty, in the greater area, uh, they just simply don't want this. They don't feel that it'll bring anything to the area. And in fact, look, in Ring um, Village, you have a little piece of heaven. I mean, there's absolutely no place like it uh, in the rest of Ireland. The road snakes along from Clonakilty past where Sean's uh, pub there is in Ring, and it then goes down to Middle Ring and then keeps bending along a very, like, very uniquely S-shaped road down to um, South Ring. So there's absolutely no place like it. The tide comes in, the tide goes out. It's a, pl- a place of stunning natural beauty. And uh, to to entertain the thought of the estuary and a good portion of the estuary, this isn't just a little corner of the estuary tucked away. This would be uh, take up a significant portion of the Clannacilty estuary, which is quite small. It's not one of these big, expansive mudflats. It's actually uh, quite a small estuary in nature. Um, it's just it's just unfathomable. So, you know, I have to join with the residents and anybody I've, I've spoken to. And look, this is what public consultation is all about. It's giving stakeholders an opportunity to have a, have a say. I'll have to join with them in making my submission uh, to the Department of Agriculture to say, look, this is something that will just not work in yesterday and in Yeah, and it's important to point out that the application went into the Department of Agriculture, uh, Food and the uh, Marine. W- would local councillors therefore not even have been aware of it, uh, Christopher? Um, I don't think so. I, look, there's, <laughs> there's a couple of elements to this. The, the, the aquaculture licence, that application would go to the Department of Agriculture uh, and the Marine, and then there's the foreshore element which would go to the Department of Housing. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure that the local authority, the Cork County Council, would have a role in assessing this in any way or approving it in any way. It'll go to the Department of Agriculture to have their final say. Now, what's key here is, and, and Sean spoke about the impact that it would have on, on sand deals and the impact that it would have on the local rowing club and the regatta and the local uh, fishing community there, not just the fishing boats who fish for crab and lobster, but also the uh, recreational fisher, fishing groups that uh, fish for gilthead bream and mullet and, and uh, different fish like that. But really importantly, and, this, and uh, so we're not just this just isn't us saying not in our backyard. There's really good environmental reasons behind this. And the appropriate assessment, the initial appropriate assessment on this very application has clearly stated that because Clannacilty isn't an SPA, a specific protected area, for a species like Blacktail Godwit, Dunlin, the Curlew, which is something that is in real big trouble uh, globally uh, as, a, as, a, as a species, it's a roosting area for terns and gulls, they have quite categorically recommended against this so that's it's, it's not just us saying we don't like the look of it or it's a nice or which it will be but it, there's actually environmental reasons behind it as well. Oh, so. I, but I noticed in the application that one of the positives that the company say is that the oyster farm will participate to the sustainable development of coastal communities creating local employment. It'll benefit to the other local businesses directly with the sale of Clonakilty oysters to local restaurants and stores. Indirectly it'll enrich the cultural heritage and help prefer, pre- preserve a well-balanced environment for its location. The farm will be a good example of integration of natural, cultural and social heritage. I take it, Christopher, you would completely disagree? Cod's wallop. Absolutely I mean, look, Ring is, in terms of County Kilty, we'll say as a tourism, as a tourism destination, one of our key attractions is Ring Village. It's a stunning uh, area to, to go and to hang out and to uh, go for walks, etc. Um, you know, we should be enhancing, we should be creating footpaths, we should be creating walkways, 
not bringing in this ugly eyesore that will totally detract from bringing as a tourism village. Maybe, look, there's oyster farms down in Croman in County Kerry. That's a huge expanse of mudflats. And the oyster farm is just like a, a little dent in, in, in the mudflat. But that, in this situation, we have two small estuaries either side of Inchidani Island. We've got the Muckrish estuary and we've got the Clancilty estuary. Very small, very unique, unbelievably unique. Uh, and this would absolutely, rather than add to Clancilty or Ring's cultural heritage... It would take away from it totally. Exactly. And we already, as, as Sean will tell you, we already have a, a great uh, food offering. We already uh, are uh, associated with some of the most famous food brands in County Kilty. We, you know, we, we don't need this. Um, you know, there's there's other ways that we can attract people to, to Yeah, stick with your County Kilty pudding. You don't need the County Kilty oysters. <laughs> have, you, have you any, is there any other shellfish farms, Sean, in the area? Not I'm aware of, no. No. Christopher? Chris, Chris Morgan, no. I certainly no. don't know. Okay. No, you'd, have to, you'd have to go to, to, to Roaring Water Bay. But listen, I, I just wanted to say this, and I'm not sure if you're wrapping up now, but submissions have to be in before June 5th. And the submissions um, go to, by email, to apc at agriculture.gov.ie. I would encourage anybody who wants to have their say as to whether or not Clonakilty should have an oyster farm. I know where I stand and we know where Sean stands. I would encourage him to, to email in their submissions to, to that email address. I'll second that as well. Yeah, please get your objections in. Okay, and I, I just let me, well, judging by the text message service uh, this morning, it's nearly blown up with the number of people wanting to comment on this. Just let me bring you some of them. Clonakilty Bay is not an industrialised area and the proposed oyster farm will be in an area of conservation. Those oysters are non-native oysters and green crab are the main predator. These green crabs are an invasive species. Therefore, seagulls will be attracted to the area. Seagulls are scavengers and this could affect the present bird life in the bay. Hi, Patricia. This proposed oyster farm in Ring will be disastrous for Ring as its location in a prime scenic area in the whole bay. The scenery is so special and so unique. It will be lost forever if an oyster farm takes it over. Once they're in the door, you won't be getting them out. That is from Rob. Someone else says, Patricia, the local communities along the south coast should all take heed of what's happening in Ring Bay at the moment, as this could happen in any bay or any harbour like Court McSherry, Timalee, Grascarbury, even the strands of Dunmore in Chidani. These are all perfect locations for oyster farming. Once they get in anywhere, there will be no stopping them. The Marine Department is very supportive of these industries by the way. And someone else is making another point saying, would the water quality in Ring Bay be enough for these farmed oysters as there are many river streams and even town sewerage system running into the bay also from factories. I for one wouldn't be eating Ring Bay (laughs) oysters. Uh, Thank you. All right, so uh, Sean, and you've got a template as well, haven't you, of a letter? Because I know some people, when they want to put an objection in, they don't know where to start. There is, we have one. It's on the Ring Dara page for anybody who's on social media. But if not, you can email ringvillagenews at gmail.com and we'll send you on a draft. Or if not, just contact myself and we'll, we'll send you on a draft. Okay, and they need to be in, when did you say, Christopher? The 5th, 5th of June. 5th of June, okay. All right, listen, we'll keep a close eye on this one. In the meantime, thank you both for joining us on the programme. Thank, thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, West Cork Doll Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan and Ring resident Sean uh, Doyle with a lot of people very, very upset about that oyster farm. It's just, I, I, I would love to know if somebody can explain that, how an application can go in 
on the 11th of February 2016 and that local people are only finding out about it now in 2021. 1850 333 And that's your warning in case you don't like Eurovision because last night saw the second semi-final for this year's Eurovision Song Contest with another 10 countries qualifying for the grand final which will be held in Rotterdam tomorrow night sadly without Ireland to preview at the event our Eurovision correspondent uh, Johnny O'Mahony. Good morning to you Johnny. Good morning Trisha. Are you over the disappointment of Leslie not qualifying? I am sure you know it was kind of expected and uh you know, onwards and upwards. What can you do? There's no no point in crying over spilled milk. You know, it's done deed and that's it. You know, move on. And a massive reaction, I think, on every radio station, both local and national, to her, to her not qualifying and everybody coming up with a, a possible solution as to what we can do. I mean, you're a man in the know. What What is the way? How do I, we get I, better at this? I think what you need, you know, you, you always need somebody that can perform. Um, you need the song. Like, the, the song is the ultimate thing, but I, until you have the right person for it, um, it's no good going. No, that's not saying Leslie wasn't the right person. Leslie, Leslie was great, but in another in another style, I think, would have suited Leslie a lot better. But uh, the ultimate thing is you need the song, and then you walk around everything with that. It, it's a combination of things, and it's not just, it's no good having a singer dancing if they're not a dancer and it's no good having a dancer singing if they're not a singer you know you, you need it's a combination of everything and i don't i think simplicity is best you know it's a big it's a very tough i mean i i've never been in that situation but to perform must be extremely nerve-wracking and a lot of pressure on somebody and when you have all that pressure it affects voice it affects mood you know it affects everything so from in in that context you just need i i think maybe to do like a selection again like they used to rather than picking somebody because when one person picks something they have their vision and that's not everybody else's vision yeah, so it's that's like a good, one person like, that's the one thing and I keep hearing it and I listened to podcasts of other radio stations after just to get the general vibe and this thing of the old fashioned national song contest yeah which other happened. countries do a lot of countries do it and you know it, it's more effective I think you know, or even, you know, the style of they did Eurostar to get a performer and then pick somebody. I mean, we were successful for the first few years of Eurostar, then that kind of got boring, you know. Mm. But you need something to create an interest for the public. And when there's an interest for the public, they'll want something to do better. And um, I, I think that's that's what's needed at this point now, or else, you know, not participate at all. Because if you're just going to go in half-heartedly, it, you know, if you're only going in to participate... You know, go in with the view to win. And if you win, great. If not, you know, we did our very best. You gave it your best shot. And I think you're right on the simplicity. When you look back at all of our wins, our seven wins, every one of them, you would use the word simplicity. Was somebody standing there just singing their heart out? Yeah, the early days of it. The early days of it, it was all singing. There was no gimmicks. If you need a gimmick to win your vision, you're, you know, you're wasting your time, I think, because a gimmick, it, it, it's a song contest, it's not a gimmick contest. And um, sometimes, like, I remember um, two years ago at the Bajan, they had a robot on stage and it, the, the song was good and the song could have done very well. 
But afterwards, the singer was complaining he, um, about Duncan Lawrence winning, saying, oh, he only sat at the piano and saying, we had a robot on stage. We should have won. And it's that, you know, that mentality. Somebody's thinking, right, well, I have a robot, so we're, we're better. Yeah, it, it, yeah. That's not how it works. So I, I think across the board, that's, that's what needs to be done for us, I think, to just get the, you know, go out there looking for the right person, the right song and performance and simplify it. Don't overcomplicate it. I mean, if, if you remember on Tuesday night before Leslie was on, there was a delay, not so much a delay, but there was a longer break before she came on stage. Yeah. And the same for Ukraine because they hit more complex staging. No, there's supposed to be 50 seconds or 30 seconds between each song. But when you start giving other countries more time to set up. There's a problem. There's more emphasis going into the staging than there is to the actual song. It should. Everybody should get their thirty seconds or forty seconds. Whatever. And if, if you can't get the stage set up, it, yeah, it's not. It's not acceptable. Yeah, yeah. And it shouldn't be. You know. So there's allowances being made, and that that in turn can lead to like there was a longer delay for Leslie. So people go to the loop, people go make a cup of coffee. When they come back, it's nearly over. Mm, you know, us, so they yeah. haven't seen it, so they're not going to vote. So it, it, it complicates things okay. for everybody. Okay, now news firstly from uh, Rotterdam. The 2019 uh, winner, Duncan Lawrence, due to perform tomorrow night live, won't be performing tomorrow no, night live. He has COVID, would you believe? <laughs> I mean, for two years he's been, he's the reigning champion. Two years he's waited for this moment and it's all over Gone. for him really he won't even be able to present the prize I don't know what plans they have they, they gave a press uh, statement yesterday and there's been nothing since but he was due to perform live um, release his new single this, a lot of stuff has been done and pre-recorded I think previously anyway but this was his highlight of two years of madness I suppose you could say and uh, yeah, you'd have moment. to feel sorry for the guy. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's but you see, he's been in a very uh, tough situation, I suppose, over the last two weeks because he's probably wanted everywhere. He's tried to fulfil so many, you know, obligations and you know do be do as much as possible, all within the guidelines and the you know protection. But for some reason, obviously, something went wrong, and, yeah, and he picked it up. And yeah. then for all Iceland, uh, one of the songs that, that we really like and and who I felt would have won it last year. It's exactly. they've they've two members down. We call two it. members down now, yeah, because we, we had heard one and then. It, it showed in their little clip last night they had two dummies set up. Yeah. So they were the two backing, uh, two guys, two friends of Daddy and um, it, it's very tough on them because, I mean, and you know, people were saying, oh, well, if that was me, I'd go on stage and leave them out of it or whatever. You know, they could have done something without, but they can't because they're in quarantine because they've been in close proximity. You know, they have to isolate. They're not allowed to perform. So it's not a case of, well, you know, we could survive without you because I, I could do it on my own. But that's, you know, it, it's a whole group. So they're out for Saturday night as well then, are they? They're, yeah. yeah, yeah, out, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a recording. Again. So it'll be the recording and we saw last night will we'll play out on Saturday yeah. night. And, you know, it, it, it looks fab. And it, it, you could hear from the time they started until they finishing the cheers from the audience or whatever. So there's a huge following for them. The only disappointment for them will be in the event that they win. <laughs> They'll be accepting <laughs> their prize in their hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's somebody coming in with all masked up and gowned up? Yeah, that'll, yeah. That, that'll look well. Okay, and I have to say when I sat down and watched it last night, you were spot on. Leslie did have the tougher semi-final. The semi-final on Tuesday was, I think the winner is possibly in, came in out of, of Tuesday's rather than, than last night. They weren't as strong, the songs, last night? No, there weren't. There wasn't. There was, and um, you know, even like for the first time, I'd say in in my um, 
in my time, I got nine of the qualifiers, which surprised me, you know, and um, songs that I didn't rate it. I, I never rated Portugal from the from day one, but last night I thought it was, you know, it came across very well. But it's not a winner or anything, but I knew who would qualify, you know. So there a lot of rubbish I thought there last night. And um, there's a few standout, Bulgaria, Iceland, um, what else was there last night? Switzerland. Is, is a big one and uh, I thought Denmark could qualify and they didn't um, obviously yeah. they, they, were the, they were the only one on my list yeah they were, didn't they were the yeah. I felt. and I mean people have said like you know they were like two uncles at a wedding you know one yeah. of them in talks <laughs> over doing it you know and you know it was it was retro but it was it was a too old you know it was kind of you know it, it just kind of hit you the minute it started but it was probably overdone I don't know France is a big one to watch out for tomorrow night um, yeah they're going all out yeah, and it, it's a very Edith Piaf. Yeah, and, um, we saw you know, just it, a clip from her last night. Yeah, so uh, that that's one to watch. But it, it's very difficult. The UK are going for the no par again for the for the low score. Absolutely, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's really just not not at the yeah. races um, and, at and all. I think he's uh, James is in a situation like Leslie in that they've put on a stage show that's absolute rubbish, unnecessary, and it's not his style of of performing at all. He's he's another one like Leslie. Stand there with the guitar, perform. And his song last year had that had you know had he been going with last year's song much better, but it's just the whole thing is kind of the choreography now that totally unnecessary and um, over the top. So that that's disappointing for him because you know he's a great songwriter and you know. He's but the pr- the so. production again top class. So I'm assuming more of the same of that tomorrow yeah. night. Yeah, 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 yeah. It yeah. really is. They're 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 doing an amazing job. Uh, and the interval act. What do we know about? It's, yeah, there's um, past performers um, for uh, teaching. They won for Netherlands. This was the last time back in 1975, Ding a Dong. I remember as well. Another. Yeah, um, they're performing. Uh, Duncan Lawrence has just performed Mans from 2015. Um, there's another two winners, I can't remember off the top of my head now. And there's a few different things like that uh, throughout. It was great and to see I, It was great to see Neve Kavanagh last night, wasn't it? Brilliant, yeah. And she's a real natural and uh, you know, Neve deserving to be there as well. You know what I mean. And we were only yeah. talking about her yesterday because she's in Mill Street today. Funnily enough, she's down at the local school in Mill Street recording a song with the with the kids. So it was, oh, it, was it was it was it was not nice to it to be talking that about. Anniversary her. was last Saturday. It was indeed. It yeah. was indeed. Yeah. Nineteen ninety three, the fifteenth of May. We will remember as well. So the the bookies' favourites, then Johnny, for tomorrow night. Bookies' favourites. Um, Bulgaria's up there. France. Um, Iceland. Uh, who else is there? Malta. Mal- Surely Malta. 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 Yeah. yeah. Mal- Malta's there. And um, like it's it's coming back and forth. There's there's a lot of um you know, the people are are looking at Malta as the ultimate winner. But um anything can happen. The the running order is out. Cyprus are opening the show. Malta are sixth singing sixth and it's you know, that's that's not a great spot. But it can be done. Bulgaria in seventeenth. Um Lithuania's another one that's hotly tipped. But I can't see it. See, yeah, that's the guys in yellow. Yeah, that's right. See, yeah. I, I liked that and I couldn't believe yesterday, uh, on Wednesday when we started talking about it, straight away one of our listeners said, well, that was a rubbishy song. How did that ever get through? And I was saying, I actually thought that was okay. It's yeah. funny how people can see a song. Taste, yeah. You know, everyone's taste is different. Where that will come is the televote will probably have that up very high. Yeah. Juries will mark it down. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's that's where it comes from. San Marino, I I don't, I, you know, I I didn't think it would get through last night, but it did. That one day, Florida, the rapper. Um, that's the, the one that ten, ten people wrote the song. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Okay. 
Yes. Yeah, As so, only San Marino uh, would do. Yeah, okay, exactly. so are you, are you having a Eurovision party tomorrow night? Or you no, can't just, with, with restrictions? No. With, no. with conditions. COVID, no. We're, no, we're, no. Uh, it, it's not happening. But uh, just, I, I'm quite content. Just, you know, sometimes a party can be more of a distraction. And, it's um, true, yeah. Just we'll sit, we'll sit back, relax and, and, and enjoy, enjoy it. Listen, uh, Johnny, as always, it's a pleasure uh, to talk to you about Eurovision. I could talk all day to Johnny <laughs> about Eurovision. Enjoy tomorrow night and thanks, thanks for joining us. Too. Good morning thanks to you. Uh, Johnny O'Mahony, our Eurovision correspondent. Somebody says, good luck to Neve Cavanagh and all in Mill Street today. I have great memories of that fabulous weekend in Mill Street in 1993. Amin Rath Gormack uh, was on to us about an episode of Fair City that was on last night and he's wondering did anybody else notice uh, notice this now I don't watch Fair City so I'm at a loss on this one it's to do with Carol she was in the office and Tom noticed she was smoking a cigarette he said what about the smoking ban and that's very unusual that you would see breaches an obvious breach like that if she was in an indoor work situation smoking a cigarette did anybody else notice that except our own eagle-eyed Tom well done, Tom. Thank you for that. Now, I've had an email in from a landlord in this. We've been talking about Threshold. We were talking with Threshold early this morning and we were talking about rents and the high cost of rents and it's daft.ie, their latest report out showing, firstly, that it's the lack of available rental properties uh, for people and allied to that is the fact that rents went up last year, both higher in the county, actually, than they did in the city. But rents have gone up and this is a nationwide issue. And obviously, Threshold, very much campaign on behalf of tenants and you know Adele was just outlining something needs to be done to give protection to people who rent properties and sadly because so many young people can't get onto the property ladder more and more people are now in rented accommodation and will be in rent accommodation for the foreseeable future and she was saying and they advocate on behalf of tenants and she certainly has spoken and Threshold has spoken to before about new legislation, new rules need to be put in place to protect tenants. But then the flip side of that is, what about the landlords? And here's a really good email in from John, who is a landlord in Bandon, who just wants to put across the other side of the coin when it comes to people looking to rent. And he says, in reply to your interview with Adele Condon from Threshold, she obviously hasn't spoken to many landlords about their experiences with tenants. There is no landlord out there that didn't meet law-breaking tenants at some point. First of all, landlords are leaving the market every single day. That is what is adding to the housing situation. They're leaving because of one-sided laws that stack up against them. While most tenants are of good behaviour and do respect the property, other tenants have total disrespect for landlords and their property. I myself had a very bad experience. The tenants paid the first month's rent but then refused to pay from then on. It took me and my solicitor six months to get them to leave. I found the PRTB unhelpful and slow. The tenants destroyed my house in the meantime, did €7,200 worth of damage. My legal bill came in at €1,300. The guardie in the end had to be called to the the guardie had to be called to the tenants many times over antisocial behaviour. Landlords also are taxed at a very high rate and have high expenses. Renting houses is not for the faint hearted. My advice is an empty house is better than a bad tenant. And that is really the other side of the coin. And we have spoke spoken in the past with landlords 
representatives of landlords and landlords uh, associations and you will hear that there are now you know John is right there are some very good tenants and you would like to think that the majority of tenants are good but it's a little bit like the dog fouling we spoke about earlier on the small few then go on to ruin it for everybody else but that's that situation that John found himself in 7,200 euro worth of damage then he had to go through the legal route to get them out of the house 1,300 euro so that's what 8,500 euro and then six months where they didn't pay any rent I mean that really is that's a bitter bitter pill to swallow and if at the same time that's going on in your property and you have a mortgage out on the property you've got to pay for the mortgage as well so uh, it's an explanation and another side of it from a landlord's point of view and could be an explanation why as John says so many landlords are getting out of the out of renting and obviously this has a knock-on effect then uh, for less and less houses uh, to rent and somebody else says um, RPZ has been some of the oh rent pressure zones my apologies rent pressure zones has been the cause for some of the high rents at the moment if a landlord cannot raise the rent more than 4% then at the start of the tenancy what is that person to do he'll set the rent high enough so there'll be no need to rise it over the next number of years while the rent pressure zone rules apply the government they're the ones enjoying all the high taxes all the high rents as they get 50% in tax while the young couples work to keep a roof over their heads it's the taxman is collecting then from the landlord and on and on it uh, goes and someone else says Patricia listening to the government droning on once again about housing and building yet in all reality doing nothing for people who are trying to get onto the property ladder people who buy a site are those on farms who try to build in West Cork are blocked by planning and planners. They are a law unto themselves and they want everyone to be shoved into a town or into a city. Surely this pandemic has given us all an insight into the fact that there's a huge amount of positives to be said for country rural living. The government need to address this problem as it is simply getting out of hand. Thank you for that. That's came in uh, by uh, text. And also, can I do a follow-up to yesterday? Actually, two things to follow up on yesterday. Towards the close of the programme, we had a grandmother who had contacted us who was worried about her four-year-old grandchild because the car seat that the grandchild was travelling in was rear-facing. And she was making the point that when she looks into other cars, the children seem to be forward-facing in the car. And she said she can't speak to her, her the child's parents, her son and daughter-in-law, for argument's sake, because they want this rear-facing seat. And she was wondering, was there a safety implication for it? And now, immediately when I mentioned it, I had a flood of young parents come on and say, no, what the parents are doing in that case is absolutely spot on. The science and the expertise is there to say that your child is better off at a younger age rear facing rather than forward uh, facing. And I've had another and then I got a text and I just didn't get a chance to mention it but it's a lengthy one and it's worth mentioning in relation to the grandmother who's querying whether her four-year-old grandchild should still be rearward facing. The answer is wholeheartedly yes. The parents are correct asking her to do this. All children should be rearward facing until at least five or six years of age are until they have reached 25 kgs in weight. The rationale is to protect the child's neck and they get much more support when the seat is facing the rear position and it's up to five times safer 
than a forward-facing seat. You can get more information by simply looking up the Road Safety Authority website. And that came in from a parent who also is a healthcare professional who has looked after children who have been in road traffic accidents with devastating consequences from not being rear-facing in their car seat. Uh, When I look into other cars, it saddens me when I see so many young children forward-facing. Okay, so obviously at one stage, forward-facing seemed to be the way to go, but obviously they've done all the experiments, they've looked at the road traffic accidents, they've looked at, as this listener says, the devastating consequences of forward-facing and they've come to the conclusion that your child should be facing backwards, should be facing the back of the car, at least until the five or six are 25 kgs, whichever they reach for. So thank you to whoever that listener was, as I say, that did come in yesterday. I just didn't get a chance to mention it because it was towards the close of the programme. And something else that we touched on yesterday when I was interviewing Paul Byrne about his 40 years in media and I was getting him to remember some of the stories that he covered over the years and I was putting it to him that having watched this guy on TV over the years I always think when he does the human interest stories the Southern Correspondent you always you just know by him they're the ones that he enjoys doing the most but they're the ones that affect him the most particularly the very very emotional ones and then he started to speak about little baby Jacob and I hadn't thought about baby Jacob in quite some time and he was a little boy that was born in uh, Mill Street and he was born sadly without eyes and there was a lot of fundraising went on and at the time Paul as a Southern correspondent it would have been TV3 as was at that stage went down to do the filming and he was really really affected by this little boy and after the interview then I just put the shout out to say does anybody know where little baby Jacob now would be a, a grown up little boy now as opposed to a baby because I knew his parents were from Poland but I hadn't heard about him in many, many years and I was wondering what had happened. And Dona Lucy got onto us straight away because he said he's in contact with Jacob's parents and that they had returned to Poland. And I had said, well, when you're next speaking to them, will you say that we were talking about him on the radio and that we wanted to send on our very best wishes? Well, lo and behold, I arrived in this morning to an email from the said same, Dona Lucy, who uh, said, who said that, who, who contacted Jacob's parents yesterday on the back of us talking about him and he's got a message to, uh, for from the parents uh, to say that the family are doing very well they, having had COVID but now all is good that certainly is good to hear and he outlines in the email as we mentioned yesterday they returned to Poland uh, where the education and the health care was more suitable for Jacob and they would be able to afford it it was simply too costly here in Ireland Jacob is now 11 years of age and he's doing very well he will be going to Germany in the summer if COVID restrictions allow travel Jacob attends a local school where he has a personal assistant all of the time the school have done a great job with him Jacob also has individual lessons from teachers face to face. After school, his mum goes with him almost every day to a place where they work with him because he got an autism diagnosis. Now, I don't know if he had that before he left Mill Street or not. They have brought him a piano and he also has music lessons at home. They have received great help from his grandparents, which is also great for Jacob. And that would have been another reason why they decided to move home to have support from the grandparents. His development is slow, but they see the improvement every single day and they're very happy with his improvement. His health is also very good. And Marius, the dad, was amazed 
when he heard that we were talking about Jacob and was amazed to think that people still remember Jacob. And Marius went on to send his best wishes uh, to all of us here at the radio station and to everyone in uh, Mill Street. And he said they will always be so grateful for all of the help that their little family received when they were amongst us living in in Mill Street. So well done and thank you Donny for that. I'm, I'm really thrilled with that and actually I must get that message on to Paul Byrne as well. I was texting Paul last night. I'll, I'll send him on that message just to let him know that little Jacob is doing well. That is terrific. That is terrific and it's nice. It really is. It's nice to hear uh, when you hear a follow up uh, like that. 1850 uh, on the Eurovision uh, Eurovision is nothing like it was years ago and that's a text in from Des who's listening to us in North Carolina hoping the world is good to you in North Carolina Des and yes Eurovision completely has uh, changed and that's why one wonders will we ever get back to the glory days of Ireland winning the Eurovision I, I think not because it probably has changed so much but therefore do we need to change with the times as well or as Johnny said if we're not willing to change with the times do we just need to drop out there's no point half-heartedly going into it because at the end of the day it is a competition. And Jim says, I just saw the highlights of the semi-final last night just before the voting. And like your husband, what you mentioned to Ken earlier on, I did notice a lot of the women were scantily clad. And I also did notice it was most of the women that were scantily clad were the ones that got through to the final. Even though there was one act that looked like a rock band from Finland. And I thought they reminded me of Lordy, who won the Eurovision a few years ago. Yeah, and actually when that band came on stage, Jim, I thought the very same thing as well. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls uh, today or you can text or WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non emergency and non medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. Skibbereen Country Market, they are reopened this morning. They are up and running now and they're there until half past one today. Abbey Story Church Hall in Skib with lots of products on offer like cakes, plants, vegetables, and crafts. There's drive in bingo tonight in Kildare, 8 o'clock. That's in the Creamery Yard. And Feed West Cork. This is a new food bank. We're actually going to be talking with the organisers of this on the programme on Monday. They're helping people in need. They do it in a very discreet and a very confidential way. If you need a helping hand, please get in touch by phone or by text 087 287 9118. Or you can do it through their Facebook Messenger. Now, they will welcome food donations also for the West Cork Food Bank. If you can help in Anyway, Esther is your contact on that same number 087 2879. 118. And St. Gubnett's Nursing Home will be holding a bake sale in aid of the Alzheimer's Society. It's tomorrow week, Saturday 29th of May, between 2 and 6. Their stall will be located near Teresa Kelleher's house on the Charleville to Ballygran Road. If you'd like to donate or contribute baking, can you please contact Maura on 086 844 we're continuing our series with Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, for a new feature that we play out every Friday called Cork versus COVID. And this week, Fiona is looking at how fundraising has been affected by the pandemic and how charities in Cork have overcome those challenges to continue raising much needed funds to keep their services going. Like one, two, three, I'll be there. 
had a tremendous response to our, our online appeals. So that's that's where we need to be going forward. Charities have had to change the way they raise funds as COVID-19 brought an end to the big fundraising events we all know and love. Pascal McCarthy of the Mercy Hospital Foundation outlines one way they've been affected. We can't go out in the street shaking buckets. That, that day is over and I, will it ever come back? I don't know. So we've got to move into more electronic modes of fundraising. Breakthrough cancer research depends heavily on funds from the public and CEO Orla Dolan says the pandemic turned everything on its head. Look, we didn't have physical events. We couldn't put people in a room to come together. Um, but we found other ways around it by trying to do things online, virtual events, that kind of thing. Um, you know, just trying to be more, I suppose, everything went kind of more digital, you know what I mean? Um, trying to keep people together while actually far apart. Could Katrina O'Mahony of Cork Arc Support House says it's been a difficult year for charities. Cork Arc relies on fundraising for more than 90% of our total income in the year, which is massive, really. And as with all charities, this has been seriously impacted over the last year. Um, thankfully, we haven't had to introduce any cutback to our services. The greatest impact really has been around the uncertainty that COVID has brought uh, with regards to having the capacity to raise funds. She says the loss of group fundraisers has impacted on other aspects of their service. As well as generating vital income, there are great opportunities for people to connect and engage with so many others. So whether that be marathons, lunches, different morning and evening events, it just gave people a chance to come together and meet and share their experiences and get some support from each other. Michael Nason of CUH Charity says the public support continued. You were really looking for people to be creative, and they were. And despite the challenges of not being able to go in a marathon because the marathon is cancelled or not get 100 people together to go cycling because you can't, they've found ways within the rules to do it, to have a local run or they encouraged uh, people who had raised money with them before to kind of do a run in their back garden or do something somewhere. And money money started to flow. Marymount Hospice celebrated its 150th year last year and head of fundraising Paula McGovern says they had to cancel many of the events they'd planned. We have a busy calendar of events anyway, but this was extra busy. As always, I suppose the people of Cork have rallied behind Marymount. I think that's very much the lifeblood of Marymount Hospice and... Uh, we did our own online campaigns that that went very well, like in terms of we did an iPad appeal and we did a great appeal with Cork GAA. And Paula says the people of Cork never let them down. The people of Cork sort of came, came on board with the online as well. And so we had an awful lot of really creative and I suppose very life enhancing, you know, um, initiatives that people came up with. So yeah, so we're doing sort of creative um, online campaigns and obviously the support of uh, people of Cork and beyond has been hugely important to us and that has continued. Well done, charities really, really have been affected. It's one of the reasons I'm always saying to people the charity shops are back up and running. Please give them as much support as you can. I want to give a shout out to a very special lady and I'm picking up all of the details about this from Tim Lynch, our Canturk reporter, but he also reports for the Corkman newspaper under Canturk Calling and he's writing in this week's Corkman about a very special lady called Ellie May Brown. I think she's affectionately known locally as Nelly. And today is a very special day for Nellie Brown. She is celebrating her 100th birthday today. Happy birthday to you, uh, uh, Nellie. 
Tim writes that she's known by everyone who passes her on Strand Street in Canturk where she lives and she can be seen out every day sweeping the streets outside her home. She's very proud of her hometown and Tim reckons if she was a few years younger she probably would be leading the Canturk Tidy Towns Committee. Isn't that incredible? 100 years of age and she out sweeping the footpath outside her home. Ellie May uh, is really looking forward to the President's check. I'm assuming she's got that and there's a great party. Well there can be much of a party but I imagine there will be lots of celebrations going on today. She was born on this day in 1921. She was born in Eggman Street in Canturk, which is located at the southern end of O'Brien Street. Her dad, John, owned a bar. He was also a farmer. The pub where Nelly grew up was affectionately known as the Dugout by young men from Canturk and the neighbourhood who had fought in the British Army during the First World War. And at the time of Nelly's birth, it was used as a sanctuary post by a group of the Gloucestershire Regiment who were barracked nearby. Nellie's mother said that some of the soldiers jokingly suggested that the baby should be called curfew. Nellie attended the Convent Primary School in Cantork before moving on to secondary school. After that, she worked for a time in Mallow. She met and later married her husband, Michael Brown. She then commenced nursing training in the Rotunda Hospital in Dublin. She had one daughter, Patsy. She then moved to London and worked in St. David's private ring at the Royal Northern Hospital. She bought a house in North London. She lived there until her retirement in 1993. Then she relocated to Dremore Drive in Mallow. Sadly, her husband passed away in 19. 19- 85 and Nelly subsequently moved to Strand Street in Kenturk where she still resides today. Isn't that fantastic? Happy birthday to uh, Nelly Brown, a hundred years of age uh, today and I hope she's not out sweeping outside her house today because day, today is certainly a day for her to put her feet up, relax and enjoy herself. Happy birthday Nelly. 1850 Bernie is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And a number of people are picking up on, it was in a Tom in Rathgormick, said he was watching Fair City last night and he couldn't believe that Carol was smoking in one of the scenes when she was sitting in her office, which we've got a smoking ban in this country. A number of people spotted that as well and agreed, uh, really taken aback by, couldn't believe it, including one person said, thought it was really odd. And that's coming from somebody who was a smoker says this uh, texter. Here's an interesting one for you to be aware of when we're talking about scams and being very careful because of this cyber attack on the HSE. Uh, Mike Fitzgerald in Knocknagree says, Patricia, I just got a phone call on my mobile from a 0090 number saying my personal data has been found, etc. and to call this number to stop it. Now, needless to say, says Mike, I didn't. But you would, will you please tell other people about it? I'd report to the Gardaí as well because we mentioned earlier that the Green Party Party leader Eamon Rhyme uh, announced in the Dáil yesterday that they're going to establish a hotline, a kind of confidential crime line type scheme whereby people, if they're anyway approached by anyone claiming that they've medical or any other relevant information to reporters, so obviously the Gardaí are already trying to amass what kind of scams people are trying to do. So I would suggest a phone call and Mike to your local guard the station. But I did a quick Google search on the 0099 number. It is It has been used as a fake phone number from the UK, but it also looks like it could be coming from Croatia as well. So it definitely is fake and well done for spotting it. People just need to be very much aware of that. But you need to talk to people. You need to talk to older people who've got mobile phones to be very, very careful about taking calls, unsolicited 
unsolicited calls, particularly from people who've got information about you. People really now need to bring their A game to this one. Hi, Patricia. Would you send out a massive congratulations to Capabui National School, who just this morning won the Eurovision School of Vision? They've won it for the second year in a row. It's a great achievement for a small, big hearted rural school. Maybe they should represent Ireland in the Eurovision Song Contest next year. Uh, thanks for that. That's coming from Councillor Danny Collins. So well done, Capabui National School winning the Eurovision School of Vision. Well done uh, to them. Now, a number of other texts. I'll hold those ones for a second just and see what else. Oh, no, oh, I want to do this. This is a couple of texts coming in about vaccinations. Okay. Firstly, a positive one saying, Hi, Patricia. I received my first vaccine in Tullig Men- Medical Centre in Mill Street yesterday. The staff were brilliant. Service was fantastic. So nice. The appointment was for 4.30. I was driving out the gate again at 5. That is terrific. Well done. Hi, Patricia. I'm 52 years of age, no underlying health problems. I'm living in Tallow, County Waterford. I have just received my appointment for my vaccination for Sunday, May the 23rd. That's this Sunday, yeah. But wait, it's in Killarney. Now, I'm happy to be getting the vaccination, but surely there could have been somewhere a little bit closer to home, says uh, Alan. I think they're trying their best to get through as many people as they can in as many as the vaccination centres as they can. And unfortunately, some vaccination centres are busier than others and for that reason then they then go with well, where's the closest but to go from County Waterford to Kerry does seem a bit of a journey for you but look Adam look on it as the positive as you say you're delighted to be getting your vaccination and that's the real good news look on it as a day out now, I know there's nothing open for you to you might be able to get a takeaway somewhere along the way pack a picnic if not but sort of make a day out of it sort of you're able to go outside of your 5k as well give yourself plenty of time as well I don't know if normally you would have gone through Rathmore if so don't because that's the advice we've been giving to everyone who has been getting there's a lot of people in North Cork for example have been given appointments to go back to Killarney or back to Chile for their vaccination and we're telling everyone to avoid Rathmore because there's roadworks going on there at the moment and there's a diversion in place and we had some people said that the diversion they reckon the signposting wasn't great on the diversions and we had some people were panicking because they were late then getting for their vaccination and the one thing is we had, everyone was asked to arrive on time and then here's an email in from one of our listeners who is in I'm assuming in that early 60 age group and we've had Oh, maybe six or seven this week of people in their early 60s, 61, 62, 63, who registered weeks ago and not having any joy with getting an appointment and people getting really upset about it and anxious about it and nervous about it. And I keep saying, keep ringing the HSE on the 1850, 24, 1850 number. And people say they are, but they're not getting anywhere. And we'd one person said they've rang six times. And I kept saying, keep ringing every day until you eventually get your appointment. Well, here's a, a listener in uh, saying, uh, saying, I'm. have you heard of anybody in the same situation? Well, we have because I've had a few calls and texts in this week. I've just actually sent the following 
email to the HSE saying, hello, my name is, my PBS number is, my date of birth number is. I'm a frontline retail worker and I've been working all throughout the COVID emergency. I registered online for the COVID vaccine on the first day for eligibility for my age group, which was the 26th of uh, April. And that now is nearly a month ago. I don't know, are you in your late 50s or early 60s? Anyway, but been registered to, since the 26th of April. All the people that I know of my age group have now received their first dose vaccination. I still have not received an appointment. I've contacted the phone helpline and I've been told they don't know why I haven't received my notification yet. I've asked to speak to somebody such as a supervisor who might be able to help and I've been told that's not possible at the moment. I appreciate that because of the IT system problems there's a lot of disruption but I don't believe that that should have affected my appointment and not all the others. The main issue seems to be is that the helpline is of no help. There seems to be no other avenue available. This is having a detrimental effect on my health and I'm requesting an urgent uh, response. Oh, Helen, let us know how you get on uh, with that. Uh, we are we haven't been emailing the HSC this week, obviously because of the IT system. And I'm wondering, did your did your email even get through to them? Because the as far as we know, all of their systems are down. Hopefully, it has gotten through to them. But it is desperately frustrating when you've gone past. We've we've been telling everyone to allow three weeks. And if after three weeks we've been telling people to ring and in fairness, the majority of people that we have said to them to ring the 1850 number, 241850, have all come back to us within a day or two to say, yeah, that worked and I got a text message and I'm getting my vaccine. But there just seems to be this handful of people. And when they ring, you know, they look at the system, they see the person is registered, they see all of the information is correct. I know we had some people that when we got them to get on, it turned out the phone number had been taken down wrong. people who had rang through the information and the phone number just, you know, that you can have human error as well. But we have been told all the time that the since the cyber attack, that it isn't affecting vaccinations in any way because the luckily that the portal that they've used for registering and that IT system is a separate IT system. So I can really sense your frustration. I really, really am hoping that they respond to that email, Helen, and uh, let us know how you get on, please. Uh, somebody else says, my husband is, a, is the same, registered a month ago, nothing. He's also rang. They could tell him that he was registered, but still no news on a vaccine. He's another person that is in his early uh, 60s. Uh, Jim says, hi Patricia, I got a text confirming my vaccine for Killarney also on next uh, Sunday, even though Mallow, the Mallow Vaccination Centre would be much closer. But I'm glad to drive because I'm going to see our neighbours across the county bounds while I'm getting my vaccine. I take it it's okay to drive after the vaccine, depending on the after effects. I suppose, yeah, you're, listen, I haven't heard of anyone who has had any immediate effects. They make you sit for 15 minutes. But yes, there was lots of people when I was at the vaccination centre, Jim, last Saturday. It was the Mallow one. But I was chatting with lots of people who travelled and everybody uh, was sailed home afterwards. So yeah, you'll be absolutely fine. You don't, if you want to bring somebody with you for the company, uh, why not? But uh, failing that, you will be okay. And just on that whole thing of people nervous about the vaccine and clots and all of that and the very, very rare cases. Can I tell you that a very small number of serious blood clotting events in Ireland have been reported 
who got the AstraZeneca vaccine. The Health Protection Regulation Authority have come out with a report and they have received, they say, less than five reports of blood clotting type events. And this is the one combined with the low platelets. This is a very, very rare uh, event all of the people that it happened to were under the age of 40. Symptoms occurred within one to two weeks of the vaccination from the first dose. The types of symptoms reported included shortness of breath, severe and a persistent headache, unusual skin bruising, abdominal pain, leg and leg pain. The in, All of the individuals then obviously reported the symptoms, realised something was wrong and bearing in mind they were all under the age of 40. All of them ended up spending some time in hospital Every single one of the individuals concerned were discharged from hospital after receiving the specialist medical care. And that is the big difference now with this very rare, and I say it is very, very rare when you look at the tens of thousands of vaccines that were administered in this country, that there was this five, less than five. All of them are fine now. They know what to look out for. They know what to do if, God forbid, you were to be one of those very, very rare cases. So let that come as a little bit of comfort, I think, to people who are still nervous about it. And actually, the Health Protection Regulation Authority also revealed that there was about 8,000 people reported suspected side uh, effects, but all of those side effects were mild to moderate in uh, nature and that the benefit of the COVID-19 vaccines continued to outweigh the risks. Uh, some people reported, for example, that they got a high temperature. Other people reported that they felt a bit fluey for, for a day or two. But all of those very mild to moderate s- symptoms disappeared. Usually, usually it is within 24, uh, 48 hours. Now at the moment, the AstraZeneca vaccine in Ireland is restricted to over 50s and that's due to that very rare clotting event. But as we know, NIAC has now said the people in their 40s can get it as well. So the health service executive is looking at that at the moment. But I know anyone who has been given um, the 45 to 49 year olds so far are all being offered the Pfizer R Moderna and of course the HPRA also said they got eight reports of, of an anaphylactic reaction that's an extreme allergic reaction and that was from the Pfizer vaccine and again all of them made a full recovery. So for people who are nervous if you were unlucky enough just to let you know that they know what to do they know what to look out for but more than anything everyone was fine after us which is the real important one And of course, the most important thing is you get protected from COVID-19. Now, can I just give a quick look at some of the texts that also came in with regard to the oyster farm that we spoke about earlier today on the programme? Still getting texts in about uh, this. Patricia, hi. On looking at the application for this oyster farm, the dates show that they were applied for. The planning was applied for early in 2016, five years ago, yet it's only now becoming public knowledge two weeks ago. Given that the public only have four weeks to prepare objections and submissions, my question is, how can something like this be kept under the radar for five five years and nobody in the local authorities, the council, not knowing anything about it? Somebody locally surely must have known, yeah, and it's the big question. I know I put it to Christopher O'Sullivan, the local TD as well. So people seem to have known absolutely nothing about it. Uh, Anya and Kira. 
Kieran by text says referring to the oyster farm in Ring this would be something that would take the good from our beautiful bay we are the residents and we in no way want this because we will not benefit from it we do not approve so this French company needs to work on something on their own doorstep please don't put it on our doorstep the, at the end of the day it's all about profit let them make profit somewhere else we don't want it uh, here and the Cork County Development Plan says somebody else has been drafted at the moment it is indeed for 2022 to 2028 part of the County Development Plan includes a proposed walkway from Clonakilty Roundabout to Ring Village in my opinion you can say you won't have any in, in my opinion you can say good luck to that any chance of that happening if the beautiful scenic views are destroyed with an oyster farm someone else says oyster trusses as that was they called may actually disrupt the flow of water it could cause Clonakilty Bay to split in two it may never recover that's from Killian in Ring and one final one from Zoe I'm a resident of South Ring the oysters are to be processed in France so they'll not be eaten in the local area well they actually put that in in their submission that would be a great benefit to the local people because you know it would be a kind of a foodie thing to be able to order Clonakilty oysters but local people don't want Clonakilty oysters judging by the amount of reaction we've received to the programme today 1850-333-103 our lines are open text 0862-103-103 That's my leave for today thanks to Bernie who's been working on the programme for the last few days talk to you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock on to the Land Patricia Messenger very good afternoon and stay safe Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.